Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 436 of the DBR podcast, the Duke Basketball Report. We know we've been a little lax about coming at you guys lately, but frankly, it's been the summer. We've been vacationing, going different places. <laughs> the Duke basketball team, you know, every so often they drop a little bit of uncut video, not entirely uncut, but there just hasn't been a ton of Duke news. So I think I've come up with an interesting idea for today's episode. Before we get to it, uh, introduction time. I, of course, am Jason Evans. I'm coming to you actually from the Jersey Shore from Longport, sort of sandwiched in between Atlantic City and Ocean City. It is this uh, oasis of a really You're nice... You're by Margate. I I've am. Been to Mar- I I've am. been to Margate in Ocean City, New Jersey before. Uh, also See, Ocean City, Maryland. And my question for Jason was, did you go to any of the fish shows this weekend? No. Were there fish shows in town? I did in, not know In about Atlantic that. City. Uh, it was the end of the tour. People were hyped. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there were. I'm not a, I mean, I don't hate fish, but I'm not a fish fan. So you're like, sorry, the per- I... you're like the perfect age to have loved fish when they were coming <laughs> up. <laughs> this is true. It's true. But it, I just never, it never caught on with me, never hooked with me. So it, I, I've mostly just been hanging out on the beach and chilling and uh, in, enjoying taking a few days away from the rest of the world. What have you guys been up to? Donald, you've been traveling, right? Yeah, uh, so indulge me for a minute. I I was in Detroit for the last six days. I literally, as we record, I just got back to DC about an hour ago. Um, but it was it was a real special weekend because for Detroit Tigers fans, Lou Whitaker, who is one of the greats uh, of all time, second baseman, um, alongside Alan Trammell, the two duo that has the most double plays and the shortstop second baseman duo that has played the most games in Major League Baseball history. Lou Whitaker got his number retired this past weekend and growing up uh, going to that seems like that that seems long overdue. I'll I'll get to that. I'll get to that. So, you know, going back to the start of the season uh, before uh, before there was the lockout, uh, they announced that they were finally retiring his number. What happened was they were going to retire it in 2020, but we had a pandemic last year. They also set a date, but then realized that they wouldn't be able to have full capacity. And so they said, we want to make it where uh, it's a moment where, Lou Whitaker gets his roses and is able to do it in front of a full crowd. So full crowd it was on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, but he was my dad's favorite player. Um, and my favorite player growing up was Alan Trammell. So it made sense. Me and my dad would always go to games. He would wear his Lou Whitaker Jersey. I would wear my Trammell Jersey. So when this was announced at the beginning of the season, I told my dad, we're going, this is, this is, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the one we're going. So me and him went up there. My my aunt was with me. One of my best friends from back home was with me. Um, we got to meet Lou Whitaker. We got some autographs in the beginning of, of the day. Uh, we waited in line like an hour and a half to uh, shake his hand and get some pictures taken, which was really cool. We got they were giving away Lou Whitaker jerseys and and it was everything. This weekend was literally everything that we hoped it would be when we thought about doing this back in March. So uh, shout out to my dad. I know he had a great time. Uh, and I had a great time with him, but it was a really special moment for one of Detroit's just beloved stars. Um, and if you if you're not a fan of Lou Whitaker uh, and you live in Detroit, then I don't know what to tell you because Lou Whitaker is Detroit. Um, and if you have not heard of Lou Whitaker, go watch some of his YouTube videos because he is one of the all time great second basemen that baseball's ever had. And we I, I just loved every weekend, so I wanted to share that. I thought that was a very special moment that me and my dad were able to have. I love it. I love it. Sam Klein's also with us. Sam, where are you? I am at my new apartment in Cambridge. Uh, uh, I have left Boston. I've gone so far away. I'm across one bridge. And uh, 
And relative to Donald in in baseball fan land, uh, the Nationals traded Juan Soto last week to the Padres. Big so, deal. Uh, the era of the Nats, uh, where they were good, really, definitely, absolutely is over now. Uh, yeah. So, so the 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 bad times are here, uh, or at least they continue to be here and probably will be for a while. Hey, the last time they traded a really big star was back in 2018. They traded Bryce Harper. And uh, he also was the guy that won the home run derby in 2018. They won the World Series in 2019. Fast forward to 2022. Soto wins the all, wins the uh, home run derby. Gets traded. Just saying, 2023 Donald, might be the Donald, year. Donald, you are speaking my language, sir. I, I got bad news for you. The, the, it looks like the Mets and the Braves are going to be two of the better teams in baseball for a while. <laughs> the, the best team doesn't always win. That is true. <laughs> true. The Nationals. The Nationals were the best team in baseball for a couple of years there. Uh, and, and they didn't failed win. to get yeah. out of the first they round. And then they had to win the wild card to win the World Series. So uh, it only takes a spark. You want to talk about uh, Duke basketball? Yeah, I was going to say enough baseball. Let's get on to Duke basketball. And and I'm going to set up for you all the theory behind today's podcast. Five surprising things that could happen to Duke basketball in the next year. And here's how this works. I have come up with five things that I think. And by the way, Donald and Sam, they have no idea about any of this. Their preparation for this is exactly zero. They don't know what's going to come and hit it, hit them in the face. <laughs> but I've been thinking about these things. And, and my goal with each of these five things is that your initial reaction to it will be, whoa, wait a second. No way. And then take a couple of moments, think about it a little bit, and you'll go, huh, that's actually possible. So the way we're going to do this is I will present each of my five things. We will each rate them on a scale from one to 10, which approximately is the percentage like if you give it a six, you think there's a 60% chance that this somewhat surprising thing might happen. If you give it a three, it's a 30% chance. You guys can follow the math. And then after we give the percentages, you know, the numbers from one to 10, we will, the three of us, discuss each of these items before moving on to the next one. And here's my first one. Ready for this, gentlemen? Let's do it. My first surprising thing that could happen for Duke basketball in the next year is this. Ryan Young will average more points per game than Derek Lively. Seems a little bit crazy. Derek Lively is a one-and-done lottery pick, considered by many to be the number one recruit in the class. Ryan Young is a fifth-year senior who didn't even start last year at a lower-tier Big Ten school. How is it possible that that could possibly happen? And, uh, Donald, I will come to you first. Just give me first your one to ten on whether you think it is possible that Ryan Young will average more points than Derek Lively. I'm going to go three out of ten. Sam, what about three out you? Of 10, three out of 10 possible or three out of 10 likely? Because these are different metrics. So that, that would be, a, he gives it a 30% chance of happening. A three on a one to 10 scale. Of likelihood, not of yes. possibility. Okay. Of so, likelihood, of likelihood, yeah. Uh, I, I think Donald's probably right. I would maybe take the over on that, on on 30%, but I think that's a I think that's a good place to be. Do you want me to tell you why? Not yet, because I'm going to give my number. My number, you're going to be surprised. My number's going to be high. I'm going to go five. I think there's at least a 50% chance that this is going to happen. Now, Sam. So, so wait, Jason, yeah, the way this yeah. was structured, I thought you were, you, this is, these are five things that you believe wholeheartedly and you're, you're trying to see. Oh, no, 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 no. He's, he's just no. testing. Okay. It. No. Okay. Gotcha. These are th the idea here is not that these are necessarily even highly likely. The idea here is there are things that at first you might think no way, but then you think about it a little bit and you un begin to understand it's a possibility. So, uh, Sam, you wanted to go ahead. Give me a little bit on, you know, what you think of this of this possibility. I think that this 
certainly hinges a little bit more on Derek Lively than it does on Ryan Young, but it relies sort of on two underlying assumptions. About Young, it assumes that I don't think Duke is creating offense around Ryan Young, but that he's getting a lot of putback points, garbage points. Uh, you know, so if you take, I, th- this is a completely unfair way to put it, but if you take sort of Jaleel Okafor's production and remove all the times that the ball was like passed to him, if you recall for Okafor, a lot of the production that he gave Duke in in his freshman season was cleanup on, uh, you know, in the paint, uh, getting offensive rebounds, um, you know, sort of sort of correcting other people's mistakes. Ryan Young is not a creator like that. I don't think anyone expects him to be, but he could be producing six, seven, eight points a game uh, around that. On the flip side, the other assumption that you have to believe is that Derek Lively is just not going to be that much of a scorer, that he's, uh, you know, he's just not developed enough to to have the kind of offensive game where Duke is setting up plays for him. And Duke has other scorers on this team, uh, guys who are really going to be the primary scorers in Kyle Filipowski, in Dariq Whitehead, maybe in Tyrese Proctor uh, could get a lot of shots. Jeremy Roach is going to take his fair number of shots. So there are guys on this team that are going to score without Derek Lively, who's going to be in the starting lineup, getting as many touches on the offensive side. So for me, I think you add another element to that. For me, I was adding the time element. You know, just the fact that Ryan Young is, in my mind, I mean, we haven't done the stats game, but I don't think as of right now, he's projected to get nearly as many minutes as Derek Lively will. And unless he's super efficient, I mean, super, super efficient when he's in the game, and that is possible, um, we've had guys come off the bench and kind of be a microwave of sorts, but it's hard for a center to do that. Uh, There's usually a guard or a wing that can come off, score a bunch of points and go back to the bench. Uh, a guy coming off the off the you know bench to be in the center position or just in the paint, like you said, Sam, he's going to rely, he's got to rely a lot on putbacks, cleanups, and, and just otherwise loose balls inside the paint. Even guys, you mentioned a lot of those guys who are going to take a lot of shots that he also is relying on them to pass the ball to him or, you know, to dump it off to him when they drive the lane and kind of, you know, do one of those wraparound feeds for him. So I, I think when it comes to Derek Lively, he's going to get his fair share of those as well. I don't think that Ryan Young is going to get an exorbitant amount of time relative, you know, to Derek Lively where he can really make a push to make that happen. All right. So let me explain to you guys why I'm more, um, why I'm higher on this, so to speak, than either of you are. And it falls into two camps. The first one, the most obvious one to me, is that I just don't think Derek Lively is much of a scorer. He wasn't much of a scorer at the AAU level. He was someone, you know, at that level who was largely getting putbacks. He was drifting to the perimeter and taking three-pointers because he is a good three-point shooter. But he's not someone who's making his own post moves. He's not someone who's finishing a lot um, in the the paint off off of set plays. And I think that that's going to continue at Duke, especially because he's facing, he's stepping up in competition. He's going to be facing some really good big men in the ACC, some good defensive players. And I just think that, you know, I, I think you're going to see Derek Lively put up some, some eye drop, uh, you know, some jaw dropping, some eye opening defensive statistics. Eye popping perhaps. Yeah, there you go. Combination of all those. Right. Um, and, and, and he's going to have nice rebounding numbers. And he's going to be a very switchable defender. I mean, like the, the fact that he's going to be able to switch on to guards and and still be able to cover them is is what has the NBA so excited about him. But I think he's just not going to score all that much for Duke. Conversely, the reason I really like Ryan Young to score some points for Duke 
Donald, I, I don't think he's going to play a ton of minutes, but I think when he plays, he's fairly likely to be playing with a bunch of good shooters surrounding him. I think I can see a lot of scenarios where he's playing at the same time as, as Jaden shoot, where he's playing at the same time as other guys who can really fill it up from the perimeter. And, and as a result, no, teams just aren't going to focus on him on defense. He's going to be one-on-one in the post. And what we've seen from the summer workout videos, what we've seen from Ryan Young's footage of him at Northwestern, you leave him one-on-one in the post. He, You may call them old man moves. You may call them YMCA moves. What you call them are buckets. And I think he's going to, I, I won't be surprised if he is one of Duke's leading points per minute players next year. And I suspect the Duke will run plays for him when he's in the game. Again, I'm not saying Ryan Young's playing 20 plus minutes, but I think that in the 13 to 15 minutes, he probably does play. I I bet he's going to get the ball with a decent chance of scoring five, six times at least per game. Yeah. I, I, Jason, I think we're both nailing the hail head, putting the nail in the head here, right? Like when we're doing, we're talking about points per minute, like being efficient when he's in the game. But I also think that number, like uh, in my mind, right? Of course, we have a long time. Again, we have a long time for the stats game. But in my mind, I'm thinking that if he's going to outscore Derek Lively, despite the fact that we think that Derek Lively is going to have some, uh, you know, deficiencies on the scoring end, I'm still looking at it where he needs to be getting close to 10 points a game. And I don't know that that is necessarily going to be the case. Yes, I think there's going to be games where he does get 10 points or more. Um, and he's going to factor in more. But I don't think that's going to be consistent because, again, I go back to my initial element of I just don't think he's going to have enough time to do it no matter how efficient he is because there's so many guys on the floor that is that are going to be with him at any stretch of the game that also can score very, very quickly. And, again, three points is better than two. Um, if we have guys that are going to be shooting the three a lot, he's going to have to rely on getting long rebounds, which is not necessarily – uh, the strength of any center or any big man, uh, because those usually go a little bit further out of their range. All right, let's move on to the next of my surprising things that could happen for Duke basketball next season. And here it is. Though he is yet to arrive on campus, though there is a, another player who has been sort of penciled in as the starter at shooting guard, I believe there is a decent chance that Tyrese Proctor will be Duke starter in our opening game of the season. Sam, come to you first. One to ten. How likely do you think it is that Tyrese Proctor we, will beat? Are we talking regular season or the exhibition game? Regular, regular season. season. Duke's, regular first, season. Okay. Duke's first game that counts. Okay. Sam, what's your number? One to ten. Tyrese Proctor I, starting shooting guard, starting, not necessarily shooting guard, but as the starter in Duke's first regular season game. Man, I I think it's like just below a 50-50 shot. I'll give this like a, a four. If we're doing this on a one to 10 or zero to 10 scale, I'm, I'm giving this like a 4.5. Um, I think it's more likely than not that he's coming off the bench, but this is one that wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, I was talking earlier about how, you know, Proctor's bringing a lot of skills to the table. Jack White was telling us about it on our last episode. Uh, he's he's a very mature player, despite being kind of young, and uh, would not be surprised if he shows out the way that that you discussed. I know that's it's a wishy-washy answer, but um, I, I think he's going to start the season coming off the bench. If you had said uh, by December, is Tyrese Proctor the starting shooting guard, like regularly? Is he getting, you know, 
the majority of the starts at shooting guard after like in ACC play, I would put that at 60 or 70%. Yeah. Maybe even higher. Donald, what about you? Yeah. I, I'm, I kind of with you, Sam, I'm going to go slightly higher. I'm going to say 4.9. I, I think it's literally 51 49, <laughs> but here's the reason why is because I, it does not matter when Tyrese Proctor shows up on campus, he is going to be the most ready to play on night one than anybody else in the team because he spent a summer playing with men in the Asia cup and playing, you know, real competitive games where the other guys, you know, no matter what they've been doing in practice cannot replicate that. So if he comes and he's in that sharp focus that he's been having all summer with, with the Australian national team, then he has every chance in the world to start over Jake Grandison. But I, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to be surprised if he starts. I think right now I have Jacob Grandison starting on night one, but again, he, the most ready, most ready player to play right now is probably going to be Tyrese Proctor because of that experience he got. Guys, uh, maybe I failed in this. These were supposed to be surprising things, and both of you are coming in here at close to fifty percent. I'm going to go ahead and say it's like a a six point five or a seven. Um, I really, th- and and it's the reasons that Donald just cited. Uh, he's been playing for that Australian senior national team and been playing really well for them. He just went back. Tyrese Proctor just went back to the NBL. Which is which is a very good league, you know. As international leagues go, it is a, it's a, it's one of the top tier of international basketball leagues. He went back to the NBL, and just over the weekend on Sunday, he put up twenty points with five rebounds and five assists for his team. He's been consistently scoring in double figures, displaying really nifty passing while playing with men, with men in really competitive games all summer long, and. Yeah, I know he's behind the eight ball a little bit because he's never played any college basketball. And Jacob Grandison has played four years of college basketball. But I think that Tyrese Proctor's talent and his experience that he's gotten lately playing with really good players is going to... Duke's going to immediately, I think, immediately plug him in. Am I wrong? Guys, wasn't this supposed to be surprising? Like a, a few weeks ago, this would have been a surprising thing, right? One of the things about John Shire's style that we are yet to know, but I think we'll learn a lot about very early in the season, is the way that he thinks about trading off talent for experience. Because he's brought in a number of, you know, Grandison, we already talked about Ryan Young, Kale Catchings maybe to a, to a lesser extent. John Shire's brought in a lot of guys with experience who who should be playing real minutes for real programs this year, but he also has a lot of young talent coming in Proctor being a perfect example of that. Um, But lively, you know, if we go back to the first conversation, the minutes that lively gets versus the minutes that Ryan young gets um, most of that, I think is going to be philosophical on John Shire's end. And we don't know how he's going to, to make that trade off. So I think we sort of have to proceed with wait and see uh, as opposed to assuming, like I, I, I was sort of inclined to think that he would take the Coach K route on a number of smaller decisions that he's already made, and he hasn't done that, right? We were, or at least I was personally worried that he was only going to hire Duke guys in the program. One of the first hire, one of the biggest hires he made in this offseason was bringing Jay Lucas to Duke, who doesn't have any, you know, he's not a Duke alum. His parents didn't go to Duke, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, John Shire is is open to bucking tradition and is doing it pretty quickly. All right, gentlemen, we're ready to move on to the next of my five surprising things. It is this. Mark Mitchell will start more games than Kyle Filipowski this coming season. 
Kyle Filipowski's top five recruit. Some people say the number one recruit or, you know, top three for sure. Mark Mitchell's a fine player. Let what, me, what do we think about this one, Sam? Can I take this back to, I don't know how John Shire's going to treat this, but Kyle Filipowski's wearing number 30. Mark Mitchell's not. I think I'm putting this at 10, at a one out of 10. Um, I I think uh, Filipowski, wow. I, I think even <laughs> ahead of Lively, Filipowski is almost guaranteed to get, you know, every start. Um, he and He and Whitehead feel the most like, sort of college ready to me. Um, and and I think that his scoring is going to be so important to this team's success that I don't think John Shire is going to be able to keep him on the bench. The and the only way that that happens is if his is if his scoring somehow doesn't materialize in college. All right, Donald, what do you think? Mark Mitchell starting more games than Kyle Filipowski. I would be very surprised if this happens. I'm gonna go two out of ten. Um only because I think when it comes to Mark Mitchell, uh, there's a lot. I, I feel like there's more competition at his spot than there is necessarily at Kyle Filipowski's. And, and again, well, wait a second, Mark, Mark Mitchell and Kyle Filipowski are playing the same spot. <laughs> Essentially, I'm saying that Mitchell starts at power forward more than Filipowski does. Yeah, but I, I, I think there's more. I think you're. It, there's a lot of people who can be contending for either spot, but I think in the end. We'll go with Kyle Filipowski because I think he'll match up better alongside Derek Lively than, say, Mark Mitchell maybe. So, uh, and again, this we've only seen two raw uncuts, and I say raw uncut in air quotes, right? So uh, you don't really know until uh, until we see what the regular season's like. But I do think right now from what we've seen and from just how the team has been kind of talking about it, Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively are going to be the matchup, uh, the pairing up front. Uh, and Mark Mitchell may slide in there at certain parts, but I think when it comes to start, and this is not necessarily to say minutes, right? This is just starts. Like who starts when the ball is tipped, I think is going to be Kyle Filipowski. All right. Well, so sort of like you guys, I'm not super high in this. I was going to give it a three out of 10, but I think it's still a possibility. And can the I, reason, yeah. Go can ahead. I ask you a, an alternative version of this? Sure. Is there please. any world where Mark Mitchell, Kyle Filipowski, and Derek Lively start in the same game? I don't think so. I think it would take a series of injuries. I just don't, I don't see there being room for that. Dreek Whitehead has to start. Dreek Whitehead is. And, and he can't the, be the, and he can't be the, the, the wing next to Jeremy Roach. Like he has to be the three. So, so my answer to that would be if you're playing Roach, Whitehead, Mitchell, Filipowski and Lively, you're, you're going to have spacing troubles and you're going to have, you may have some creation troubles as well. That's that's just I I just kind of I and and I I think Whitehead especially with his size he's he's closer to six eight than he is to six six I think he's probably better suited to to small forward than he is to uh, you know I I just don't, I don't see it happening if Duke but, could start Cam Reddish R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson all on the same team then I'm just saying you can't put it past him uh, but. But that seems like an even it might be an even tougher hypothetical than the one we were already talking about. Let, let, I, let, that let, doesn't let, that seems more surprising, but I don't see it out of the realm of possibility. And I think that's where this exercise is, right? All these things so far, Jason, that you've said have not been out of the realm of possibility. It's just a matter of how likely do we think it's going to happen. Like out of the realm of possibility, like surprising is like Jalen Blake's is starting 40 games, right? Like that's <laughs> that's that would be surprising. But for right. this, like, I think I, I wouldn't necessarily see it happening, but 
if it happens, is clearly because something is happening in practice that we're not seeing yet. So, so the reason I put this in there and the reason I think it's slightly more likely than you guys do is I'm of the belief, uh, what I've seen so far from the scrimmage footage, Mark Mitchell has impressed with his athleticism. I, I, I really, I, I see this guy play and I'm like, he's bringing something to the table that I'm not sure there are a lot of other guys on this Duke team that can bring to that, you know, that can bring to the table. And I, I, you know, we've saw we see it in, in some of the all-star games. We've seen it in some of the scrimmage footage. Kyle Filipowski has not looked super comfortable all the time. Like the speed and the athleticism and the size of the game, I think are coming, you know, he's having a little more trouble adjusting to that stuff than when he was in high school. And even when he was playing elite AAU basketball, I'm not saying Filipowski is going to have a bad season, but I, you know, the reason I gave this a possibility, the reason I think that this could happen is that I think that maybe Filipowski may take a little more time to adjust to exactly what college basketball is all about. And, and I think that Mark Mitchell's athleticism may translate a little bit quicker than Kyle Filipowski's skills. Hey, guys, we're going to take a break. When we come back from that break, two more surprising things that could happen to Duke basketball in the next year. Stay with us. All right, gentlemen, we're back from the break. And this next one, I, I, I'm going to freely admit, I, I five is like the magic number. You're like, oh, five things this, five things that. I sort of had four that I really liked. And this is the one that I was a little bit like, eh, I don't know. Uh, so here you go. Things that, surprising things that could happen to Duke basketball in the next year. Jeremy Roach will not lead Duke in assists. I love this question. Because <laughs> this is the it, best one we've had. The, I, okay, good. Oh, it's the I can't decide if I like the possibility that Jeremy Roach isn't going to lead the team in assists or that I don't like that possibility. I believe I don't like it. I think if Jeremy Roach doesn't lead the team in assists, the most likely outcome is that things have gone awry for Duke. Jeremy Roach has a big injury, or he just has like it, it, it's it'll be more a function of him then it will be a function of Whitehead, Proctor, whoever it is that, that does eventually lead the team in assists. I'm going to put it at a low number. I'm going to say this is like a one and a half because I just feel like the ball is going to be... He, he's a junior, right? It'd be another thing, I think, if he was still a sophomore, but he's going to be a junior. Presumably, he's a captain. Like, it, it just feels it's so hard to believe that Jeremy Roach won't be playing... 32, 33, 34 minutes for this team, if not even more, depending on how much he develops over the summer. And he just always has the ball in his hands. So here's my rationale for it. And I'm only giving it a two. <laughs> I don't think this is likely, but my rationale for this is, is this. I think that Jeremy Roach is going to be hunting his shot more than he has in the past. I, I think that we began to see him doing that when when we were, uh, you know, in the uh, ACC tournament and the uh, NCAA tournament and his assist totals weren't big, but his scoring totals started to increase. So I think he's going to be hunting his shot. And I think that's a good thing. And I also think there's a possibility that because he's, I think he's turning into a pretty efficient, pretty, really, a really good scorer. I think there's a possibility he plays 
you know, off the ball a little bit more. I think you may see Tyrese Proctor actually playing a fair bit of point guard. I think you're going to see the ball in the hands of Derek Whitehead a pretty fair amount. And and that Jeremy Roach, there, there's, you know, I'm not sure who, who it would be. I think it would probably be Proctor, but maybe Whitehead ends up leading the team in assists. But I, I, I just, I think this could happen. And Sam, I don't think it necessarily is a bad thing for Duke. I, I you know, there's a world where Jeremy Roach averages 17, 16, 17 points per game and only three assists per game. I, I don't think that world is that crazy to think about. And I don't think that's a bad thing for Duke. All right, Donald, your turn. What do you think about this one? This is like a 0.5 for me. Like, that don't, this is not happening. You're basically saying Jeremy Roach versus the field. And I'm not taking the field in this because I, I think, again, even if Jeremy Roach is going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, whether he's the point guard or Jason, as you mentioned, even if he's the off guard, it means he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's not going to be shooting the ball like from beyond the arc more times than he's going to be driving the paint, driving the lane and going into the paint. Because when he does that, he's going to be, be able to find options too. Like he was great when he was doing this last year at driving the lane. And when he realized, yo, there's a bunch of tall trees here, he would dish it off to somebody who would lay it in or dunk it or dish it out for someone for the three. It's not necessarily that he's not going to be hunting for a shot. That's true, but he's not going to force it either. I think he is smart enough to know when he can go for his and when he can make the safe pass to somebody who's going to have a better option than he is. And that he's, He's proven that, especially over the last 10, 15 games of last year, he proved that he could do that, and I think he's only getting better at that. So, point five. This man is leading in assists. Like, just put it in the stats game. I'll pick him. I'll be wrong. I I reserve the right to be wrong, but that's where I stand right now. All right, last thing. Last of our five surprising things that could happen in Duke basketball in the next year, and I'm going long-term. I'm going a year from now. There are... Dudes who are currently on the roster who are expected to turn pro or exhaust their eligibility. It it seems extremely likely. If I ask you right now, what's Duke's roster going to be next year? It will likely largely consist of returnees, Jalen Blakes, Jaden Shute, Christian Reeves, and Ryan Young, because Ryan Young, by the way, should have an extra year of eligibility. I'm I'm not counting Spencer Hubbard or Stanley Borden in this, the walk-ons. So, so those four guys, Blakes, Shute, Reeves, and Young, and, our current recruits, uh, Mackenzie Mbacos, Sean Stewart, Caleb Foster, and Jared McCain. That's eight players. All right. You follow my logic here? Those eight guys. Everyone seems to think those are, you know, locked in as the guys who will be on Duke's roster next year. My unlikely thing is this. One of those guys will not be on the Duke roster next year for 23-24. How likely is it that Duke has a defection among those eight guys seen as the most likely to return next year. Sam? Like 90%. Wow, guys, really? Guys, guys are transferring all the time. I've, I, I, like, I would love for them all to be on the team next year. I think there's a reason that they're all on the team this year. But whether it's Ryan Young doesn't get minutes this year, he wants them somewhere else. Jalen Blakes doesn't get minutes this year, he wants them somewhere else. Somewhere along the line here. Uh, one of these guys is transferring out. I don't think that any of them are like going to blow up and, and go to the NBA. I think it's just a minutes thing. And there are enough of them and enough awesome talent coming in. Cause we know that Duke's already got a pretty good head start on that, uh, on that high school class of 23, that it's almost certain that someone is transferring away 
uh, after this year. Donna, what do you think about this? Uh, I'm going 9.2 because that's the current landscape of college basketball. Somebody is leaving. Um, and it, again, like Sam said, we, I mean, think about it. There was only, I believe it was only like eight programs in division one college basketball that did not have anybody leave to go by. I, I'm sorry. When I say leave, like enter the transfer portal, like only eight programs in college basketball and division one kept all their guys free of the transfer portal. We were not one of them. We were, we were one of them until very, very late in the game, but we, we were not even one of them. So I'm pretty sure that somebody is going to say, Hey, I'm going to try and find minutes elsewhere. And it's not you, it's me. Like it's not going to be a, a, you know, very acrimonious split from anybody It's going to be someone saying, Hey, I appreciated my time here. I learned a lot, but I want to play more and, the writings on the wall that I'm not going to get a lot of playing time here. I can find it elsewhere. Wow, guys, I I did not expect this from you guys. I, I really, you know, this is supposed to be something surprising. And, and it turns out you guys both think it's super, super likely to happen. I, I was going to put it at about a seven, um, which is way less than you all, but I thought that was going to be high. And and I, I, I agree with you. I, I I think it's pretty likely that somebody will will say you know what i'm i'm just not getting the opportunity that i want here um i'm not sure who it'll be but god i it's depressing <laughs> that you guys are it's, so it's sure what about it is it. right like i mean yeah. this is if you think about it like there's only a few years over the last like 15 years where we have kept a team intact where nobody entered the transfer portal or graduated early or did a graduate transfer or something like that We've had, I mean, even in our best years over these last 15, we've had people leave midseason. We've had people leave within the year. It It's part of the landscape of college basketball, so it would be more surprising for me if we kept everybody. Jason, Henry Coleman left. Like, oh, <laughs> don't, I'm so depressed about that. I'm still depressed about that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, you, 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 the you, pod, you, shout can't, out. you can't, yeah, exactly. You can't count on anything anymore. Like, I'm. I'm looking at Duke's recruiting page. If Christian Reeves doesn't get any minute, like Christian Reeves went to Oak Hill, you know, I know he's, well, wait, he's, he's going to red. He's probably going to red shirt. This I year. understand, but, but maybe he's going to be like, you know what? Screw this. I don't want to play behind Mackenzie and Baco or whoever else is coming in next year. Uh, I, I want my minutes and I want them now. Uh, kid went to Oak Hill. He's, he's a serious basketball player. He's a friend of Caleb Foster. He came so he and Caleb Foster can play together. I don't think well, let's see. <laughs> hey, hey, that hey, Trevor Keels. Not, Trevor Keels could have stayed. Trevor Keels could have stayed at Duke this year to play with his very good friend Jeremy Roach, and instead he decided to go to the NBA, become a second round pick, which is, you know, kind of what everyone sort of expected was going to happen, and uh, and get a two way contract that pays him probably about the same as he would have made if he'd stayed at Duke. So it's who knows? Not man. show friends. It's show business. Like your friends will always be your friends. Like you mean like if. Like Caleb, Caleb and Christian are friends. That's cool. They're going to be friends if one of them decides to go somewhere else. All right, guys. So that's going to wrap it up here on this latest episode of the DBR podcast. we got a little bit of business to take care of before we go, though. Uh, the first thing is I want to say to everybody out there, everyone listening, if you have a surprising thing, something that you think most people would think is not going to happen, that you think maybe might happen for Duke basketball, send us an email. Write to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. The best of those, if there's some some that are really good that we think are really interesting, we'll bring them up sometime soon on a podcast. So 
We said this was five. May turn out to be seven, eight, or nine, or ten things. If you guys come up with some really good ones, write to us. DBRpodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of writing to us, there's one last thing I have to take care of on this podcast. Avery Fulton is 10 years old. Avery wrote to us to say that he and his dad love Duke basketball and that they love listening to the DBR podcast. And his father, Ryan Fulton, just turned 45 a couple days ago. And Avery said, we have to wish Ryan a happy birthday. So Ryan, from all of us here at the DBR podcast, happy 45th birthday. You have a great son. Avery wrote to me and told me that his favorite all-time Duke player is either Trey Jones or Jason Tatum. I don't know how a 10-year-old kid really has good memories of Jason Tatum, but <laughs> I love been, it. He's been, he's been learning right. So yes. you've been doing something right. You're teaching your kid well. Some kids what, remember stuff like that. Yeah. What's more, he says that uh, that Ryan, his dad, Ryan's favorite player is J.J. Redick. Full, endor- full endorsement. Uh, no problem at all with that. Definitely, definitely the the right kind of thing for a guy who's 45. J.J. Redick's right. I was going to say, J.J. Redick almost feels too young for a 45 year old to have decided that was his favorite player, except that I know a ton of my friends who are like in their thirties who adopted Zion Williamson as their third, as their favorite player. So uh, totally valid by me. I mean, my, my class, my class, we were, we were a couple years old in JJ. JJ himself is almost 40. So, I mean, if you're a few years removed from college, you probably like, yeah, you probably saw a lot of JJ play from wherever probably made a lot of money placing, you know, drink wagers and, and small and small wagers for people who are like, oh, I hate that guy JJ's face. And you were probably like, yo, JJ's going for 40 with that beautiful face of his. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I understand because I got to watch him play firsthand. It's, it's, it was beautiful to watch him. In any event, we are here to wish Ryan a happy 45th and tell him that, Ryan, you got a pretty special little kid there in Avery. Way to go, man. That's it for the DBR podcast. I'm Jason. He is Donald. He is Sam, and this is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home.